I'm Diane Ladley, America's ghost storyteller, and this is Hysteria. It's true history that proves ghosts are real. This episode is called Midnight in the Asylum Cemetery, Part 2, The Hauntings. Though you don't have to, I strongly recommend you listen to Part 1 first. Only by knowing the history of a haunted place can you fully appreciate what you're about to experience. A special note about this episode, all of the people featured in the untouched recordings you're about to hear were aware they were being recorded and gave their approval for its use. Robert? Robert? Is that your name, Robert? In 2004, I founded the Haunted Hometowns Ghost Tour Company, operating in Chicago's far west suburbs. Every man and woman for themselves. On my cemetery tour in Elgin, Illinois, I take guests inside several intensely haunted burial grounds at night. Tool. With permission and a hefty insurance liability policy, of course. Is it calling you a tool? <laughs> Culminating at the old mental hospital cemetery. There, I relate the terrible history of asylums nationwide, and we attempt to communicate with the dead using much of the same electronic equipment popularized in the ghost hunting TV shows. Why, yes, I usually spend Saturday nights in a cemetery filled with unknown thousands of insane people who lived in the asylum during the worst of its abuses. What do you do for fun? Um, my thing just said leave. The thrill lures customers here, but I have a secret behind the creepy dramatics. Each tour is a powerful history lesson. After gazing out over the vast football field-sized cemetery with its countless rows of identical concrete stones, not a single tour guest ever forgets the terrible truth of what we did to these poor pitiable souls. It's my way of ensuring that we never do it again. Can you turn the flashlight on? Sure, I play up the fear factor, but nothing is raked or staged, no one jumps out at my guests, and all of the frightening stories I tell about this place are real. I don't make up or embellish a single story. I don't have to. Is there something else you'd like to tell us? A message you'd like to pass on to any of these people here? In my years of Saturday nights visiting that isolated, abandoned cemetery, my tour guests and I have had some unsettling encounters that I cannot explain. You're going to hear some of those actual recorded encounters for yourself. Are you still here? The reports that the Elgin State Mental Hospital was haunted began way back in the early 1900s Victorian age. Even then, staff, visitors, and patients alike complained that starting from the moment they entered the front gates until they left, they'd feel an awful shroud of dread settling over their soul and the creeping sensation of being watched by invisible, unfriendly eyes. But it was during the 1970s and 80s that the ghost stories truly flourished there. The new facility opened along State Street, and most, not all, of the patients moved there. Back in the old building, there were whole rooms and corridors, once filled to bursting with patients, that were now dark and empty. Yet the stench of old feces and aseptic and mold still permeated the crumbling walls and peeling laminate floors. It was a place of damp, rotting decay, 
where addicts, withdrawing from their drug of choice, screamed in agony, delusional patients dreamed of glory, and crying suicidal patients dreamed of death. Despite the wretched, depressive environment, the vast majority of patients were actually helped and resumed normal lives after short stays. But the old buildings were filled with whispers of joyless, resentful ghosts from ages past. Nurses reported seeing doorknobs turn when no one was around. They saw shadows moving with intelligent purpose, mysterious, sourceless lights, inexplicable cold fields, intense temperature drops, and fog acting like no fog should. Several accounts reported a bloodstain on one wall that kept coming back even after multiple cleanings. A former patient committed for nine months in 1975 for drug addiction claims to have been slashed in the face by a violent presence as he slept alone in a locked dorm room. Yes, his account isn't entirely credible since he might have unknowingly harmed himself during withdrawal from the drugs. But he was far from the only one to encounter a violent entity at the old asylum. I personally interviewed an ambulance driver who had a terrifying experience after they dropped off a new patient. She said they were just about to drive off when suddenly the ambulance was pounded on by an unseen force so powerful it caused the heavy vehicle to rock for nearly ten frightening seconds. Bam! 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 Once it stopped, she and her partner got out and looked wildly around, but there was no one anywhere to be seen. When the old buildings were found to have asbestos in the walls, they had to be abandoned and carefully dismantled over nearly a decade. They stood empty, yet their eerie stillness and dark, bleak atmosphere made them destinations for teenage thrill-seekers and a favorite I-dare-you challenge. Those teenagers recorded nerve-shattering screams emitting from empty rooms, footsteps running past them down corridors, Mysterious lights and figures appearing in windows only to vanish. A piano playing from where the old main building used to stand. And above all, the feeling of being watched, combined with a heavy, gloomy chill embedding deep into the soul, lingering long after the visitor departs. The same eerie sensations reported by visitors to the asylum for over a century. It's said that the tortured victims of inhumane early mental treatments widely haunt the area, lost and wandering over the original asylum grounds, even after death. I can testify that it's true. Though the new asylum campus is surrounded by high-wire fence topped with barbed wire, since it still houses the criminally insane to this day, my Haunted Hometowns Asylum Ghost Tour starts in a place that gives a creepy-as-hell view of the last remnants of the original asylum buildings, the towering old smokestacks where they used to burn dead patients along with the garbage during major epidemics to avoid contagion. That hard-to-find spot way out in the middle of nowhere has more intense paranormal activity than even the cemetery itself. Listen to this recording that I took on September 2015 at that spot I call Hell's Back Gate. Okay, whatever had been here causing that to go off, then maybe it's a little shy. Let's go. 
Robert? Robert? Could you repeat that? We're using a device called the Avalus. It contains a database of over 2,000 words. Each word is keyed to a different electrical frequency. The theory is that ghosts, being electrical themselves, can easily manipulate the frequencies to communicate with us. Kind of like a Mattel CNC toy for ghosts. No, those aren't the screams of the damned you hear in the background though I couldn't have paid for better sound effects. It was a big soccer game going on in the nearby sports complex, and it was a calm, quiet night, so the sounds of the game and the highway a half mile away came through loudly over the recording. In addition to the ovulus and other equipment you'll hear going off for unexplained reasons, I had also set down a flashlight, the kind that turns on and off by turning its head clockwise, counterclockwise with a simple twist, as popularized by all the ghost-hunting TV shows, the paranormal investigator turns the flashlight head to be right at the verge of turning on, then sets it down on a level surface, like a table, or, as I did, on my equipment case, so the head is sticking out over the edge. The theory is that the ghost can easily move the flashlight head enough to turn the light on and off. Personally, I have sincere doubts about the scientific validity of this method, but I admit I'm enough of a showman to hope my audience gets something to get excited about during the tour without my falling into the trap of rigging a fake experience. A flashlight turning itself off and on seemingly by invisible hands, though more likely caused by very light vibrations on the equipment case, gives that excitement while still leaving open the possibility that it could be a ghost. What happened with the flashlight on this night gave my tour guests their money's worth and made me doubt that vibrations had anything to do with this. Back when it was closed... The light turned on. Oh! It just came, it just came on. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Could you turn that off, please? You try to turn it off now? That I turned off on command. Holy crap. Thank you. Thank you. That was outstanding. I am not doing it, gang. No, no rigs, no nothing. Could you turn that on again? Please? Use your energy. I start talking again. <laughs> you mentioned the experiments. In the Ex experiments, yeah, true. There was one such experiment. Here I told about how patients had been used as experimental guinea pigs without their permission. Scientists injected them with active malaria and syphilis viruses in hopes that the two viruses would kill each other off and thus cure patients of both. No, instead they got sick with both malaria and syphilis. Nothing happened with a flashlight or ovulus during the time I was speaking until I started to talk about frontal lobotomies. In the, one flew over the cuckoo's nest at the very end, and I hope I'm not giving away anything for anybody. You see Jack Nicholson, he's had, been given a frontal lobotomy, and his head's all shaved, and it has this big, horrible gash on it. Well, that's dramatized, actually. They were uh, much more sophisticated than that in the actual lobotomies. They would take a long needle, like a knitting needle, but much thinner, and they would put it right underneath, in the eye cavity, and they would position it just right. The light turned on. Wow. 
Interesting, it's not on as bright as before. Can you make that brighter, please? Excellent! Awesome! That is definitely brighter. Does the talk of the experiments and the lobotomies bother you? Does anyone have a K my K2 meter here somewhere? I loaned it out to somebody. A K2 meter? The light turned off. Oh, that's off. Oh, excellent. Thank you. We're getting all kinds of devices for you to play with here. Every time you put something down, it says something. On edge. On edge. Theft. Theft. Maybe you were saying Robert. Not Robert. Ah. Story. 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 I'm telling stories. The light turned on. Awesome. Oh, that's wild. It did say light. Yes, it did. At the same time that it lit. Yes. Yes. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. This is so awesome. You are wonderful. Aren't they wonderful people? Yeah. Yes. You're wonderful. We love you. There's another... The light turned on, pointing on me like a spotlight. There's another little device that has a, a number of different lights. If you want to flash those, that will we'll actually be able to communicate a bit better with you. Do yes and no's. The light turned off. Okay. Onto the frontal lobotomist. They would take this needle and they'd put it up in the eye cavity. And then they would take a little hammer and flat. And with that needle, if positioned properly, it would go directly into the cerebral cortex. You're kidding. What was that other word? I missed the second one. It's yeah, cranial. Listening to your story. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. And he's correcting you. He's correcting you. Go up into the, the brain cavity. I'm freaking out and, a bit at this point. Uh, do the job very efficiently, very swiftly, and uh, within an instant, you'd be left a vegetable. If it makes any difference to anyone, I was about 10 feet off the fence over here, and my camera died, and this was going off like mad about two minutes ago. Really? So. Where were you? Uh, maybe. 20 feet down, 10 feet off the fence. Excellent. Excellent. Do you have a friend with you? (laughs) All right. Yes, we do have a friend. The light turned on. You're in the spotlight. I know. (laughs) Okay, I'll tell another story. I had heard... So I, I told another couple of stories here, which I won't repeat since you heard them in the previous episode, Midnight in the Asylum Cemetery Part 1, The Horror. Then, as I neared the end of the story, this happened. Banging around loudly, so they thought that somebody was coming, maybe a, a caretaker or something. So they immediately turned... The light turned on. Light turned on. <laughs> the light turned off. You were talking about a lobotomy and it said cranial. Yes, that's right. The obelisk said cranial. And the, right when I was talking yeah. about the lobotomy. And Diane stopped talking and it said story. And then it said light said light and the light went on. Do you want another story? I has got lots of stories. But you have to ask. Actually, I was running out of stories. 
you make that flashlight go on again? There's a lot of energy around you. The light flickered on, but dimly. Can you make the light brighter? Come on. The flashlight went dim. Keep trying. Oh. You can do it. It's getting dimmer. Then flickered out. It must be hard, I know. I was distracted by a guest showing me a photo capturing a wispy white figure standing near us. If you want to hear another story, can you turn the light back on? There's anybody smoking near you? No, there's no one there. She was the only one next to me. Lights on. If I want another story, can you turn the light back on? Well then. I don't know if you got another story. Once upon a time. When each story ended. The flashlight would go on again, shining like a spotlight on me. Then, when I began another story, the light would flicker off. It really felt like we were in the presence of a child who wasn't ready for bedtime yet, so she kept demanding, One more story! Until she got sleepy when the flashlight kept dimming, then finally turned off for good. So I said, Sleep sweet, and we tiptoed away, promising we'll come back to visit her again soon. Now, let's walk deeper into the asylum property, about a half mile north of the old smokestacks, to a secluded wooded area at the base of a small hill. This is the asylum's hillside cemetery, about the size of a football field, completely hidden by trees, high hedges, and ivy-laced wire fencing. The Asylum Cemetery is where they buried those patients who had no other home or family, or whose family had cut them off so completely they refused to even take their body after death. It's said to be watched over by a very powerful, very negative entity protecting the graveyard. I interviewed a woman who stumbled across the hidden Asylum Cemetery on a beautiful summer afternoon in 2008. She said she didn't feel welcome when she arrived, but hey, what could possibly happen on such a bright, sunny day? For the next 10 minutes, she took photos of the cemetery with her 35mm camera. The unfriendly feeling grew, but she shrugged it off as her imagination. As she was focusing her camera lens, suddenly an eye appeared in the viewfinder. Somebody was standing right by her, looking up at her through the lens. A burning sensation flashed over her stomach as she dropped her camera, spinning around. But she was totally alone in the open field. Wild terror overwhelmed her, and she ran out of the cemetery, dived into her car, and peeled out. But she was shaking so violently she couldn't control the car. She had to pull over in the parking lot. The burning across her stomach got worse. She lifted her shirt and saw three long slashes, each deep enough to draw blood across her stomach. Another testimony from a ghost hunter hobbyist said that he too received scratches at the asylum and recorded what sounded like a dog. He believed it had been a guard dog protecting the graveyard even after death. Historically speaking, that's not likely. 
The state wouldn't spend money on a guard dog to watch a potter's field. But the ghost of a delusional madman thinking he was a dog, devotedly protecting his friends lying in this field? Yes, for this cemetery, that could be a more likely explanation. Ghosts have a sense of humor. Take, for example, what occurred in October of 2016, deep inside the asylum cemetery. We had been using the Ovilus, that see-and-say device for ghosts, as well as a doll that has sensors that light up in its hands and head around electrical magnetic energy fields. The third device was a sensor sweep. It looks like a round radar screen pinpointing free-floating electrical orbs within a 10-foot radius. It also color codes the strength of each orb from blue, the weakest, on up to red, which is anything three milligauss on up. Putting that in layman's terms, a red dot on the sensor sweep indicates an orb of magnetic electricity emitting energy that's at the least as strong as the electrical field around a toaster that's burning your bread into a blackened crisp. So when we see a red dot, we first try to find out what is generating all that electricity. And if we can't find any source, then we show it a lot of respect. That night the Ovilus had been fairly chatty, but then fell silent. We were gathered around it when one of the men in the party stepped away from the rest of us to... Well, just listen. Do you want us to stay? If so, make the uh, hands of the doll flash up again. Red right there. Gassy. 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 Gassy? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yeah. It was right where TJ stand. It was right where you were standing, too. The red light? Yeah. Oh, now he's behind. He's right here with Gene. What are the odds that the ovulus would speak the word gassy immediately after someone passed gas? Now, what are the odds when I tell you that the word gassy isn't in the device's 2,000-word database? Yeah, funny but freaky. Just when you think the tour is over, something like what happened in October of 2015 takes place to leave you wondering. A tour guest was using the Mel meter, a device which, among other functions, includes an electromagnetic field sensor. Usually its digital screen reads 0.0 in the cemetery since there's no natural source of electricity anywhere. But just as we were walking back to the van, something unusual happened that never did before or since. The melmeter suddenly detected a weak electrical field. Getting something? Uh, 0.4, Excellent. 50 degrees? 0.6. Can you get it up to 0.7? Please. Come on, try. Get it up to 0.7. 
Yes. Yeah, buddy. Oh, yeah. Point nine. Point nine. Woo. One. Okay, that's wait. One what? Milligoss. What's a milligoss? It is a, a unit of electricity. Okay. Yeah, somebody was behind me. No. Maybe somebody is. Wow. Wait, one point one? One point two? How many milligoss can you get up to? Uh, I got up to six. When? That's because I put my phone up to it. Oh. Well, yeah. One point six? One point seven? But wow. Forty nine degrees. Forty nine? Interesting. Wow. It's getting colder. And can you get it up to 1.7? How about two? Wow. How about two? Holy Toledo. Can you get it to two? Yeah. Try two. More energy. Come on. Almost there. Nine. Come on, come on, come on. Good boy, two. A little bit more. Come on. Can you get any higher? It's going higher. 24. Holy Toledo. It's kind of scary. It's getting pretty high down here. 2.5? Oh 2.6? Oh my god. 8? 6. Is that a lot of three? electrical energy though? Like, yeah. yeah. There's nothing over here. Yeah. Oh, well, sure. Nothing. I just, that's Can you get up to 3? No, wrong, wrong way. Two. Can you get it higher? Can you make it to... 2.9. How about 3? 6. Did you catch that? The sensor sweep indicated a red dot hovering right behind the woman holding the melmeter. Earlier, the woman said she had a feeling like someone was right behind her, but no one was there. Further confirmation that some mysterious, unexplained source of strong electrical magnetic energy was with us. At this point, the meter started going down, eventually reaching zero. Even as the temperature reading went back up about seven degrees to its original level. Further confirmation that something was there. So what's this light mean? That just like is the area. Uh, oh. There we go. So, uh, what happened? But then we got one last confirmation. 
That was like awesome. 3.6 at one point. I thought it was 3.7 at one point. I, uh, Did you see it's 3.7? Yeah, 3.7. Yeah. Oh my god. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? Whoa, I just saw mist. I pointed my flashlight here, there was mist. Right where we were standing? Right where I just showed my flashlight. Like, that was where we were standing. Yeah, there was mist. Could have been, yeah. I oh my god. <laughs> I, like, I'm not... Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very like, much. Like, I saw a little bit earlier, but that was missed. Oh my god. I have to, like. When I was over there, I got, like, kind of like a vision. No, vision, but, like, oh, a two. That got into a two? Yeah. Excellent. Um, but, like, I kind of, like, saw, like, twins or something. Oh, god, twins. No, oh, bad. <laughs> That's scary. Wait, what did she say? I I why did I see this? Like uh, it was like gray smoke. Yeah. It like didn't make sense. Like I saw some earlier as a guy whatever. I turn around, I see it. That's that was crazy. And I got it taped. Awesome. Well not video. Not videotaped, but recorded. And it was only there for a couple seconds. Oh yeah, I From their beginnings as sanctuaries of peace and beauty for the most vulnerable and dangerous among us, to their slow degeneration into places of darkest nightmare and monstrous cruelty under a mask of compassion, America's old asylums are surely our most haunted places, hiding America's most haunting sins. This episode was written and produced by me, Diane Ladley, America's Ghost Storyteller, for my Hysteri podcast. If you like this episode, please take a moment to rate Hysteri on Apple iTunes Podcasts or whichever podcast provider you use. Your name can go down in Hysteri by visiting the Hysteri podcast page on patreon.com and joining on as a patron. Your support will help create further episodes of your favorite new podcast, and you'll get some excellent rewards and exclusives offered only to VIPs. That's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, or just visit the History Podcast Facebook page and click the Shop Now button at the top. I can't figure out how to make it say Donate Now. Facebook hates me. And then tell your friends about this fantastically spooky new history podcast you've discovered. Thank you in advance for your support. Hope you'll tune in again next time to Hysteria. It's true history that proves ghosts are real. Wait, wait, one last thing. It's almost Christmas. So here is a musical gift from me to you and yours, with apologies to Bing Crosby. Don't worry, my voice is professionally trained. It will not add to your horror. Happy haunted holidays, everyone. Slade men scream, are you listening? In their veins. 
Satan's fangs are glistening A beautiful sight, we're hungry tonight Werewolves in a winter wonderland Gone away is the high noon Here to stay is the full moon We howl our bloodthirst, we love being cursed Werewolves in a winter wonderland In the meadow we'll chase down the postman Then we'll rend and tear at Parson Brown He'll scream, ah! Slaughtered like a lamb Then we'll kill their wives when we're in town Claws and fur we'll acquire As we bite the Baptist choir Oh, how blood will flow, bright red in the snow, werewolves in a winter wonderland. Slade men scream, are you listening? In their veins, fangs are glistening. A beautiful sight, we're hungry tonight. Werewolves in a winter wonderland Gone away is the high noon Here to stay is the full moon We howl our bloodthirst We love being cursed Werewolves in a winter wonderland In the meadow we'll chase down the postman Then we'll rend and tear at Parson Brown He'll scream, ah! Slaughtered like a lamb Then we'll kill their wives when we're in town Claws and fur we'll acquire As we bite the Baptist choir Oh, how blood will flow Bright red in the snow Werewolves in a winter wonder